back in the 80s, but um, a couple of weeks back, I knew that this was coming up, and I try to pray about if I have an opportunity to sing, what the Lord would have me sing. And very quickly, within minutes, this song was very heavy on my heart to sing, and I haven't heard it in probably 10 to 15 years. So I'm going to trust that the Lord has a message. He's had it for me. This song has been something that I have just loved for many years, um, but I trust that he knew that somebody in here is going to need to hear it today, too. So I hope that you are blessed.
Thank you very much. That, of course, is um, the Katie. And if you really want to know, that's the Katie of the emails that you receive at the bottom. Some people ask, who is this person, Katie, that keeps sending us emails from the church? Well, that's her. So, um, so, so that's that. Um, I do think, Katie, that the one part of the song where it says, I was young, young but I'm older now, kind of, that means a lot more, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Katie and I actually uh, went to high school together, so there's, there's that. Everybody doing all right? Good? Having a good week? Good? I have some good news. Want to hear some good news? Um, we have all the money we need for our parking lot. Yeah, all the money we need. So uh, I've contacted the guy that's going to be doing it, and he's, he said he could get it on schedule maybe the end of September. But he has a lot of work to do, so it'll just be within his, his time frame. So that's very excited, exciting. Um, another thing, um, we are going to do what is called Chicken Stew to Go uh, on October the 17th. And what that is, is from 4 to 8, people can come to the church. We will park them out in this parking lot. Um, trunk or Treat will be around our field, different cars. You'll actually get on a wagon and do a hayride to each one of the trunks. And uh, then when you get off over here, you'll get your soup and your hot dogs to take home and eat with you at your own convenience. So that's how we're going to do that. So chicken stew to go is, is what that is. So if you want to volunteer for that, you can ask me afterwards and I can tell you how to do that. So very excited about that. Okay? Good? All right. Um, we, the title of the sermon this morning is 19D, is actually the fourth part of a sermon series that we started last year. We had A, B, and C last year of 19, and this is the final one. You may ask why it was moved to this year. Well, um, I just have to do that sometimes, because that's where I'm told to put it at, at certain times, so that, that's why that, that is there. So we're going to start with some uh, Hebrew words, okay? And the first Hebrew word is zeev. Now, it's the three letters right here, so zeev. So if you could say that to your neighbor, zeev. Zeev. Now, zeev means willful or presumptuous, okay? Willful or um, presumptuous. And it means that you are doing things that are uh, not okay, you are doing things willfully that are out of uh, the spectrum of what is really right, okay? So it's, it's willful, really willful sinning. In fact, this word right here, um, Hebrew, Hebrew is so, so different. This is actually a phrase, and it says, do not allow me to willfully sin, do presumptuous sins. It's what that word actually means on here. But the root word is zeeb. It means will or, or presumption. Okay, so that's that one. Here's the next one. This is Marshall. Can you say Marshall to your neighbor? Now, if you really say it correctly, you'll go Marshall. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to say Marshall because that's easier for me to say. And I'm just not going to, you know, I'm just not going to do that. Okay, so Marshall. Marshall is actually a controlling dominion sort of word. And it really means grip. Like it's something has a grip on you and it's controlling you. So to kind of illustrate this, I've asked 
Scott, who is no longer here, I'm going to ask his brother to come up, and I'm going to, I'm going to show you what this word actually means. All right? So come on up. Oh, you're here. Great. Great. You're saved. You're saved. He was, he was, yeah, yeah. So, so this, is, this is what this word means. It's grip, it's hold or dominion. And it's when your dad, when you were little, went like this and did this. Did I hurt you? No, I was just Oh, okay, great. I was like, I was like, I was like, wow, I've been working out with this like game thing. And I have, ooh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I am 60 days. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm gaming my core. You know what I'm, this is, has nothing to do with the message. I'm just giving you a little update report. I did look in the mirror on Friday and thought, I now look like the before guy, you know, in the picture. Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's an achievement, yeah. The advertisement says 10 days later, I'm supposed to be ripped like the after guy, but I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so anyway, gripped, gripped. This thing, I'm going to do it like that. Okay, gripped. So you grip like this, and you control where people go. Like you're gripped, and whatever is gripping you is controlling you where you go. Um, you may not have had it done like that when you were a kid. Oh, you, <laughs> you may have had something like my dad did, or my mom rather, where she would grab this ear and she would just pull you along. And I'm not really pulling like my mother pulled. If you're wondering why my ears are so big, it's my mama. She pulled me to the left. She pulled me to the right. So if I wanted, she wanted me to go, there, come on, it's time to go, son. And, and you would go. So it's a grip in that particular regard. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, so it's a grip. So, so, so it's a grip, it's something that controls your direction, and it's got you, and it's going to take you where it wants you to go. Are you tracking? All right, so turning your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. And... In verse 13 is where we're going to read. Psalm 19, verse 13. And it says this. Keep your servant also from presumptuous, or zeb, sins, willful sinning. Sins that are out of what you're supposed to be doing. As if a sin wouldn't be what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Anyway. Let them not have dominion or a grip over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Lord, I, I don't want the sin to grip me and take me to a place that I don't want to be. And I think that you and I oftentimes allow sin and sinful ways to grip our heart and take us to places that we shouldn't go. We allow that to happen. Dominion, it has dominion over us. Um, the person that wrote this particular psalm, his name is David. And, and David had times in his life where he allowed sin to grip his heart and take him a place that he did not want to go. Let me give you one of those occasions. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 3, and it says this, It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. 
And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David is out on this roof, and immediately a sin grips his heart and takes him in a direction. David, who is the man after God's own heart, was gripped with the sin of lust and went after this woman. And in fact, he not only inquired about who she is, he invited her over. Not only did that happen, did that occur, that adultery occur, but to cover it up, he killed her husband. He killed her husband. So the grip on his heart was... I want to do this, I'm going to do this, now that I've done it, nobody can find out, and so I'm going to cover it up. It's kind of interesting to me that even after he, he killed um, the husband and then he invited, invited her in, you can read through scripture and see several things that David did that was good, that, that we would consider to be good. During the time period where the grip of that sin had him in his heart, why was he doing good? To cover up what he had done wrong because that's what the grip does you try to correct it you try to make sure nobody knows about it and then you try to do some good to make sure that you're putting icing on the cake so that nobody would ever figure out that sin had actually gripped your heart the problem that David had though is the problem that you and I have when we do the same thing we can cover up a sin we can make it look like we didn't do it We can even do good to make sure nobody ever gets there. But the one we never fool is God. He looks down at us and he sees that we have done something wrong. And so for a year period of time, David had this sin gripping his heart. And God sent this prophet named Nathan to him to show him the error of his ways. And that is when David repented and that sin that had gripped his heart actually released its hold. He is saying here, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, from willful sinning, from those sins that grab a hold of my heart. Do not let them have dominion over me. Do not let them get into my heart to the place where they guide me to a place I shouldn't be. Lord, do not allow that to happen. Recently, um, (laughs) yeah, recently, very recently, um, I was doing some yard work in my yard and found a hornet's nest. Have you ever found a hornet's nest? Like, hornet's nest? Have you ever seen the hornet's nest that's just hanging in somebody's house? Like, they have several of them. There's deer. I'm not making fun of people. I'm just saying there's deer. There's maybe a raccoon, uh, a spotted owl. I'm describing somebody's house. A, just a spotted owl that maybe they shouldn't have had, but they found on the road. And then there's this, this uh, hornet's nest. Well, I found this hornet's nest, and um, there was hornets, just one going in and one going out. And you only see one going in and one going out, and you think, well, maybe it's not as active as you might think it is. So I like to look to see if there's bees in it. Like, I, I just like to kind of very safely, I don't want to be stung. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I'm not going to stick my hand in it right? Because that's ridiculous, right? But I do like to look up in there and just see how big it is inside. And when I looked in there, there were hundreds of those hornets around there. So so I backed up and 
I left it alone because that's the smart thing to do until you get some type of stuff you can kill it with, right? I think sometimes in life that we, we are baited to put our hand into a hornet's nest. Recently, I was baited. I, I made a comment. A person took a comment in a direction that I did not even mean it in. You with me? And so I explained what I meant by the comment, but this person just would not let it go. Because regardless of this explanation, this is what they thought I meant, and because this is what they thought I meant, they just took it in another direction. But I explained what I meant, and it was true. So instead of sticking my hand into the hornet's nest, come on, instead of doing that, I just left it alone and quit commenting about it. Because this is the truth. Are you with me? Now, inside, I wanted to engage. Right? You moron. I told you right here. Are you with me? I told you this is what it is. Well, these words are definition, blah, blah. Uh, Yeah, it's a hornet's nest. So in that moment, I had a choice. It's either grace or peace and love and move on to something that's more important or allow the sin of irritation to get a hold of my heart, which would lead to anger, which would lead to things that I would regret saying. So it's not just going out on a roof somewhere, seeing something and going for it. It's other little things that we're baited with that can get a hold of our heart and then we act in ways that we should not act. So we don't want dominion to be over our heart. Now, I know, I've heard many times the passage that I just showed you preached on. And what they will say is that David had quit doing his duties. David was at home. David was relaxing. And then David allowed, say, you know, that because he was relaxing, because he was, you know, doing the king things there at home, because he wasn't out at war it, and he was not doing anything, that it allowed Satan to come into his heart and then allowed that lust to get a into his heart, okay? You may have heard that before. I would argue that that is not the case. I would argue that the lust had already grabbed a hold of his heart and it had nothing to do with the fact that he was resting. Let me, let me show you, okay? Let me illustrate this biblically. Earlier in David's life, he kept sheep. Now, I do not know much about keeping sheep, but I don't think it's that strenuous of a job. Unless a lion comes or a bear, or something else comes. I don't think it's that strenuous of a job. So so here's sheep out here, and here's David on a rock, and he's playing a harp. And the sheep are just out here. It's a lovely day. The sun is up. They're eating the grass. And he just has a couple of hours to just play a harp. And we all know that musicians don't work. They just play their little songs and and sing their little songs and there's no work involved at all. So he's just singing and he's singing praises to the Lord. He's making up some of the Psalms 
that we see in our, in our Bibles right now. He's just, he's just singing in the sheep. And so, you know, the day gets, and he has to move toward water, and so he gets his sheep and says, come on, and he gets his sheep to come on, and there's some, there's some work involved in this. I'm not demeaning it, but he gets to the place where they have greener pastures. He's, he, put his, he puts his little stuff around, and then he, he sits down, and he plays his harp. This is why kids could do this job. Are you tracking? I mean, this is why he was the youngest and he was able to do this job. It was an easy job for him to do. And it was a lot of rest involved. But what he did during his rest time, when he did during his downtime, was he sung praises to God. That sets him up for 1 Samuel chapter 17, where Goliath is coming down and he's visiting his brothers. And everybody is hiding from Goliath because they're fearful, because fear had gripped their heart, and they were hiding from the potential danger. Okay? So David comes up, and this is what he says. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, what had gripped David's heart was a love for God, for a love for his word, and he came into this situation saying, who's this guy? I know he's big, but who is this guy? Somebody needs to take him. And we know the end of the story, right? He went down and he battled Goliath because what was gripping his heart at the time was not, I want to make a name for myself. It wasn't self-promotion. It was somebody has slapped my God in the face and I need to do something about it. And so he stood up. And he did what all the other warriors should have done in the first place. So David says here, look, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Don't let me sin. Do not allow them to have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent and of great transgression. I want something else to grip my heart. I want God to grip my heart. David's story continues. He has, he has a time where he brings the ark into Jerusalem. The first time that he does it, he does it the wrong way. But what he does is he steps back and he consults the priest on how to bring the ark in. And then he goes back and he does it a second time and he does it correctly according to the word of God because his heart's desire was for the word of God to guide his life, to be what gripped his life, to be what took him in a particular direction, not sin. There's another time in David's life where David wanted to build a temple because he had this big house, right? He, he had built his big house and he wanted God to build his temple. And God said, no, you can't build my temple, your son will. David did not pitch a fit. He said, okay, Lord, we'll let, that, that's a great plan. But what I'm going to do in the meantime is I'm going to gather all the materials so my son will have an easier time building this temple. That was God gripping his heart. He allowed God's word and what he was shown to grip his heart. Now look at verse 7 of Psalm chapter 19. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. And it revives your soul. If you are sitting here today in this room and your soul is not revived, that means something else has gripped your heart. Something else has gripped your heart. 
See, revival, we, you and I, if we really love the law of the Lord and we love his word and it's really precious to us, we are revived all the time. We're revived all the time. And if it's not revived, something else has a hold of your heart. It continues. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. It's talking about the word of God. Rejoicing the heart. If you're sitting here today and there's not rejoicing in your heart, if there's not joy in your heart, that means something else has gripped your heart. Something else has. It's not the word of the Lord. It's something else. That means that there is a sin that has you. So if you, if you don't have um, a revival sort of spirit about you, if you don't have a rejoicing in your heart, something else is gripping it. I find that we as Christians allow way too many things to grip our hearts. Way too many things to grip our hearts. We allow health issues to grip our hearts and cause us to fear. That's what we do. I don't care, honestly, if, if someone wears a mask, if someone does not wear a mask, if, if, someone, if someone decides to um, stay six feet away from me or if someone doesn't stay six feet away from me, I prefer Nicole not to stay six feet away from me. And then there's other pe people that really just need a shower that I wish they were 18 miles away from me. I mean, it, it's that sort of deal. I don't, I don't care about that at all. I don't care about that at all. And I don't think God does either. This is what God cares about. If it is fear that is causing you to stay six feet from someone, fear has gripped your heart and fear has caused you to, caused you to make that decision. If it is common sense and you're trusting the Lord, but you're using common sense and you're wearing that mask, you're staying six feet apart, that's perfectly fine. It's common sense and you're restful and there's a rejoicing in your heart and there's joy inside of you. Are you, are you tracking? If you're staying six feet apart, if you're wearing a mask and your heart is like, yeah, this is the thing to do and I'm perfectly comfortable in my, in my skin and I'm rejoicing in my heart, that's one thing. But if you're doing all of this, but inside you have fear inside of you, it is not the mask or the six feet that is the problem because that doesn't matter. The problem is you have allowed fear to guide you and that is a very bad taskmaster. I believe there's people of faith that are wearing masks and staying six feet away from people. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that there's people that are just so fearful they will not step out of their comfort zone to do anything at all. And that is where the spiritual lesson comes in. We trust in God. We have faith in God to take care of us. We use common sense for everything else. I'm going to tell you right now, if you start coughing, I'm going to stay away from you. But I'll tell you right now, two years ago, I'd have been the same way. If you start coughing, I'm not going to shake your hand. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. But I don't want that cough. I don't want to be sick. I'm going to do that. It has nothing to do with fear. But it has everything to do with common sense. So what I'm trying to say is, is fear gripping your heart and causing you to act in certain ways? If it is, that is a sin. That is a sin. Faith needs to be what grips your heart, and you act accordingly. It is amazing the difference in how you look at things when you have fear and when you have faith. When you have faith, 
you can really go through the information that you have and you can really kind of dissect it and do what's best for you and be peaceful about it. Is everybody with me on this? Everybody with me? So don't let that sort of thing. So we let things have dominion over us that we shouldn't allow them to have dominion over us. You can't rejoice in God, in his word, if something else has a grip on your heart. But that means that you desire to have the word grip your heart. Like it's a, it's a huge desire. It's something that, that you go after. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 19. It says this, more to be desired are they than gold. That's the word of God. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb, a desire. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've dated before. <laughs> I, I've dated before, yeah. And I married one of them, right? And I haven't dated since, although I take her out from time to time. And I was able to take her out last night because my son spent some time with with some friends of his, spent some time with some friends with his. Um, and, and that was great, great family, spent some time there. But nonetheless, um, she and I got to go out on a date, but it took me back kind of to when we were first dating, like way back before the rings were on the finger and we were even committed to each other. And there was a desire there. There was a, di a desire to be with her. There was a desire to be in her presence. And so back in the days in the 80s, Right, And in the early 90s, when you're dating people, and this would be the early 90s, you would actually go to your house, and I know this is foreign, but you would actually take the phone off the hook in the house. It wasn't with you. You would take it off the, off the thing in the house, and you would dial her number and get her on the phone. There was no like video chat, right? There was no video chat. There was no FaceTiming. There was no, nothing like that. It was just all on the phone. And you, you might have had a speaker on the phone. You could have pressed this button, and it was new technology. You could press this button, a speaker. You could listen to her and talk back and forth. The microphone wasn't that good, but you weren't do much, doing much talking anyway. <laughs> right? And, and you were just listening to, to her talk to you, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is great. But you just love to hear her talk to you and stuff, and, and you just really desired. And then you were like, okay, okay, honey, when's, when's the next time we can get together? Can we go out to eat sometime? Can we do this? And there was the desire going on, and that's really all you thought about. Like, that's that desire. You wanted to be with that person. The desire here in Scripture is the same way. It is, it is us having such a desire for the word of God that we want to read it. We want to get into it. We want to see what it has to say to us. So we wake up in the morning and, oh man, I, I just really would like to open the word of God for a moment and read it. And we, we get to nine o'clock in the morning. We're like, well, I wonder if there's something online, maybe somebody posted a verse or something and I can get some inspiration from that. We get to lunchtime and what what verse of scripture, what type of scripture can I think about at lunchtime? Maybe it's what I thought about in the morning, but I can think about it again. And we get to three o'clock in the afternoon and six o'clock and in the evening, it is always on our mind. And here he's saying, I want the word of God to grip my heart. I desire it to grip my heart. I desire it to be what I, my life revolves around. 
And see, if your life doesn't revolve around the word of God and your desire for, for it, something else has gripped your heart. And whatever it is, I, I could list a ton of things that would take us way off the mark, right, for you, or might be right on the mark for you. But whatever grips your heart is what you are doing instead of looking into the scripture. So whatever it is, I don't know what it is. My son is now loving ping pong. He bought him a killer spin paddle. He's, he's ready for whenever you have that at night thing again. He's ready to go. And he came home from this little, uh, not little, this at night thing that Phil's doing on Tuesday and Thursday, excited about ping pong, and that's what had gripped his heart. So he, he got on, online, and he ordered him a ping pong paddle, and it came yesterday, and he's really excited about it. He's held the paddle. He's weighted the paddle. He's done the paddle different ways. He's tried to figure out how to spin the paddle. Like, he's all about that paddle. I'm going to take the paddle, and never mind. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm not going, not going to do that. But nonetheless, that is what he's desiring. That is what he is focused on. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I as believers need to be focused on the word of God first and foremost. It is not that we can't have other interests. It's not that we can't go after other things. I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm not saying that my son shouldn't play ping pong. But what I'm trying to tell you is his desire for ping pong should be less than his desire to read the word of God. And your desire to read the word of God should be like honeycomb. It should be sweet moments with you and God. It's something that you really, really, really desire. If you don't desire it, something else has taken a hold of your heart. Oh, great. So, ta-da! This is not the price is right. This right here is a bottle, a 16-ounce bottle of virgin olive oil. See that? Okay. We'll put that right there. This right here is a 16-ounce bottle of extra virgin olive oil. 16 ounces. This is 16 ounces, and this is 16 ounces. I'm not sure why this is extra, When they're the same size, okay, that's the first thing that goes through my mind. They're the same size. Oh, come on. You know, cereal, have cereal boxes, 15% more. It's some extra cereal in there. You get like Reese cup bag and it says 25% more and that's like a little touch of heaven on earth. The Reese cup bag with a little more Reese's in there, you know, things like that. More. Well, this is kind of extra. So, <clears throat> so this has bothered me for, for a long period of time. I, I know the difference between the two, so don't think that, but this has bothered me. Why can't we just call this pure olive oil and this whatever it is? Because to be honest with you, this is not pure olive oil. There's something mixed with this. So I started recently, yes, reading about this. Like olive oil and, and the differences between the two, it's, it's really intrigued me. And what I found out is, is there is an olive oil conspiracy. Like it's worldwide. And the news are not reporting about it. Nobody's picking up this story. And, it, and, and it's fake olive oil. Did you know that there is fake olive oil on the shelves in the United States of America? Did you know that? It's fake. 
okay, this is serious. This is serious stuff. It's fake olive oil. So let me explain to you what fake olive oil is. This right here is fake olive oil. Do you see the difference in the color? It's not just because of the thing. It's just a difference in the color. This is not totally pure olive oil. That is why it's just virgin. See, this extra virgin olive oil is supposed to have the stamp of approval that it's as close as you can come to actually the olives being squeezed into the bottle. That's what that means. So this little just regular virgin olive oil means that it's mixed with stuff that isn't olives. Like in this right here is soy oil that they've mixed into it and some other oils that they've mixed into it. So this right here is, is not pure. Not only did they do that, but to further, to further the deception. If you think politics is bad, this is really bad. <laughs> Sorry. I've been trying to keep a straight face. So I'm, I'm telling you stuff that's true, but I do think it's funny that I'm taking it to this level. Okay, so here we go. Back up. So, so this right here, man, they have, they have actually put a flavoring into this, this oil, a flavor. So it tastes like, you know, the, the, the really pure olive oil. They put flavoring in there, and they also put a couple of other little things in there, but this is not pure olive oil. This is an imposter. It's, it's fake. Now, if you go to Italy... You can get some pure olive oil, and you can take it home that that is pure, squeezed olive oil. If you go to Israel, you can go there, and it is purely squeezed olive oil. They have a standard, a checklist that they go through before they allow anybody to say, this is the purest olive oil you can get. They have a checklist, and if it doesn't have that stamp on it, but in the United States of America, they don't care. There is no guidelines for this. I can't go to Food Line without a mask on, but this stuff can get in unpure. <laughs> and it, it bugs me to death. This should not be in the supermarket. There should be something that, that goes on with that. Now, let me illustrate to you um, how, how this stuff happens. Now, if you're Southern, there is a, um, I, I've been to India before, and I've, I've been a part of this, okay, India. There is, if you're Southern, there is a milestone. I know it's pronounced millstone, but we're in the South. Okay? So it's, so it's a big rock that is a wheel, and there's this little thing that comes out like this. Well, I was over there with a friend of mine, and we were, we were at this, you know, this olive oil press type thing, and, and there was a bunch of olives that had been placed in here. And so my friend started pushing the millstone around. He wasn't getting very far because... It's heavy. I don't know if you know this or not, but that, that stone is, is heavy. And, yeah, Jesus wasn't with him. So, so he's pushing that stone around, and he's trying, trying the best he can. Well, I'm watching him, and I'm also watching the Indians. The Indians are over here, and they're laughing. And they're doing their little head thing. You know, they, just, they have this little head thing going on, and they're just laughing. And they're saying something in their language. Now, at that moment, I knew what they were saying. Maybe not exactly, but I knew what they were saying. Because there was a donkey right here, okay? So, so they are looking at this white American pushing, trying to push this stone around. There is a donkey right here, and, and they're just having a good time with it. And so me being me and my wife being on the other side of the world, I just let it happen. 
I just watched him and kind of laughed with the guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I eventually came up to him, gave him a, gave him a bottle of water and said, I'll take it from here. He said, you're not going to be able to move, move that, mo- that this millstone. I said, oh, yes, I am. So I got one of my friends, one of my Indian friends, to come with me, and he, he came over, and we got the donkey, we hooked up the donkey, and we started pulling it around, and my friend said, oh, that's how that works. And I said, yeah. Have you seen the size of those Indians, those little scrawny arms? They're not pushing this thing around. It's that donkey. So the donkey began to, to move it around. Well, as the donkey moved that, that mo- mo- I've said milestone so long, that stone around to squish it, what would happen is the juice would fall down. It's really a sick thing to watch. And if you're a germ person, it, it's really kind of sickening. But, it, but it, it squeezes down and all the stuff that you don't need stays up here. And all the real pure olive oil goes all the way down to the bottom. So it was the one thing in India that I really wanted to taste. At, as nasty as that looked, I just wanted I just wanted to see what that tasted like. So I went down to where it was at, I put my finger in it, and I put it to my lips, and oh my goodness, it's the best olive oil I've ever tasted in my entire life. It was extra, 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 the purest that you can get, olive oil ever. So I got some of it and brought it back home with me continued to taste it, and now I can tell you, I can tell a difference between this one and this one, and it's nowhere close to the real thing. The stuff that you're not supposed to have is left on top. The stuff that you're supposed to have that's squeezed out of it goes to the bottom, and you collect it. Let me ask you a question. If I was to squeeze you today, what would come out of you? Would it be the purity of the word of God? Would it be the righteousness of the word of God? If you were pressed in a trial, what would come out? If you were in a tense situation and something pressed you, what would come out of your heart? Would it be something that is pure and representative of Jesus Christ that has saved your soul? That has changed your heart? Would it show that that is what is gripping you? Or when you are pressed and afflicted and put down, would something else come out and it would be a mix of Jesus Christ and something that really shouldn't be there at all? Are you with me? What would be there? This passage of scripture (laughs) says a couple of things. In verse 10 more to be desired today than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Lord, I want your word to be so much a part of me that when I'm pressed and afflicted, that what drips out of me is innocence. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. If I'm pressed by other people and something has to leak out of me, let it be blamelessness. 
and not condemnation. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's innocence, keep back, blameless, innocent of great transgressions. If you were squeezed in this moment, would you be innocent? Or would there be something mixed with it that shouldn't be there? I think it's interesting that this message falls at a time where we have a Christian college, and I'm, I, I normally don't do this. We have a Christian college where the president and his wife have been squeezed, and what has come out is anything but pure. Now, do they have G? Are they saved? Sure. I, I, I'm not going to doubt their salvation. But there's other stuff that when they're squeezed has come out, and it has had a ripple effect on the people around them. So the school and the students are struggling with it. The families are struggling with it. The church that is involved with that school is struggling with it. I'm struggling with it. Other people and Christians are struggling with it as they, as they look at this happening. The world is not really struggling with it. They're like, yeah, we didn't like him anyway. So the testimony kind of goes down. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of you and I living pure lives for Jesus Christ. And when we're under the stone, when people are throwing them, impressing us with them, what needs to come out is not awful sins that they can point and we're not blameless anymore. That's not what needs to ooze out of us. What needs to ooze out of us is the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ who died for us and caused us to have a way to live in that direction. Amen? We might not be presidents, but I am a father. And what I do affects my family. If I live correctly, it affects my family. If I live incorrectly, it affects my family. And it doesn't matter if they know what I'm doing or not. Fathers are the doorway for spiritual attack into 